Hi, I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and I'm the host of CPOV Autographs at CertainPOV.com. It is a bi-weekly interview series where I interview folks from all over the arts, from writers to comedians to magicians to musicians, even actors, historians, podcasters, pretty much anyone who's willing to chat with me for a little bit. If you like interesting conversations with even more interesting people, go to CertainPOV.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, music is life and life is good. Don't worry, listeners. No need to adjust your dial. This is Landline Radio. Welcome to the end of the dial at the end of the world. I'm the host, and we bring you stories too chilling and strange to be true. Right from the heart of towns where the lines between this world and the next connect. Stories from people just like you. For those long, dark, lonely nights driving down roads that never seem to end. We'll be here. And don't worry if you can't find us. We'll find you. Leyline Radio is from Dreamer Productions and can be found monthly exclusively starting in October on their Patreon feed. Follow the link in the show notes below to hear and enjoy. Welcome back, serial killers, to another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. My, f- my, my friend, my guest, needs no introduction. You all know him, you love him. I have with me uh, Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. Matt, welcome back to the show, buddy. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be back. I believe I was last here with one Sam Alisea talking Buffy. Buffy, yeah, not too long ago, but I mean, it feels like a thousand years ago, because what is time even? Uh, So just for anyone who, for some reason, has no idea who you are, give give us the Cliff Notes version of who you are and where they might know you from. Sure. So I am a podcast producer, host, and editor. Um, that is my primary function these days, though I do a ton of other stuff as well. Um, you may have heard of my podcast, Fun and Games, that I do with Jeff Moonen, Screen Snark, which Maddie has been on. Actually, you've been on Fun and Games as well. I have. Uh, but uh, Maddie was also on Screen Snark, which I do with the incredible Rachel Quirky Shank, and uh, Reignite, which is a Mass Effect retrospective podcast, which I do with Frankie Bradley, Bradley Lestrange, and... Uh, yeah, I those are just on the network, and then I, of course, I also do autographs. Oh, which is also on the network, which is an interview mm-hmm. podcast. It's too much. <laughs> if you go to djstormageddon.com, you can find everything that I do. You can go to dj underscore stormageddon on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. You can find all of my stuff there. Uh, I, I, yeah, I do too much. And so, if I were to actually go into great detail on all the things I work on, we'd be here all day, and I'd rather that not, would so. be the whole episode. It's <laughs> it would be. And you now work for Game Informer, yes. I do well technically. I am a freelancer for I'm a freelancer for Game Informer. Um, their podcast, The Game Informer Show, hosted by the incredible Alex Van Aken, uh, hired me on to edit that show. And so, yeah, I'm a freelance editor for that, uh, which has been a lot of fun and really cool. Uh, I've been podcasting for a decade, but the largest response I've ever gotten to joining a project was that project, uh, which was pretty neat to see. I mean, it's a huge deal, and Game Informer is huge. I mean, I still 
get, I mean, thanks to GameStop, I still get Game Informer every month. Yeah. I read through it voraciously. It is where I actually look for new kind of game titles and stuff. And, you know, I still go there for news and things. You know, maybe it's just generationally who I am. But, you know, I used to look forward to those Game Informers coming monthly uh, in paper. Uh, but the digital's nice now because then I'm not weighed down by magazines every time I move. Because I have a horrible time editing through things as a designer. I go, I might need that for inspiration. It's fine. I might need that for a project. <laughs> But, Stormy, we are here today to talk about one of my favorite things and something you and I have talked about often. And I think I've literally pitched for about two years since like Dole Whip and Dreams to have you on to kind of talk something specific. But today we are talking my favorite Miyazaki. We are talking all things Studio Ghibli and kind of the celebration of that. So could you... If you kind of remember what that first imprint was for you, can you talk about maybe the first inspiration or the first time you remember seeing a Studio Ghibli film? Yeah, sure. It's actually very clear. It was uh, after the theatrical release. I think it was on DVD with some friends, probably. Um, I saw Princess Mononoke for the first time. Princess Mononoke was the first film I'd ever seen that was related to Miyazaki. Um, fell in love with it immediately. I believe it was the English version because uh, famously a lot of the Miyazaki stuff, especially the more recent stuff, has these great big Hollywood casts mm -hmm. that do them. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was the first one I remember seeing. And then like shortly after that, I devoured everything else. I think I've seen all of them. We'll get into that because I may have missed one or two. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I've seen most of them, especially the older ones. And yeah, Princess Mononoke was the first one I remember really standing out. Um, I love the animation, the story. I love that it was not a damsel in distress story, which were so common at the time. Um, but yeah, and so yeah, Mononoke, and it, Mononoke to this day still stays my favorite. I've seen, there are some others that are close, but Mononoke definitely still is like at the top of my list for Miyazaki films. That is amazing. Now, I think... Oh, I'm I'm fairly certain. I think Spirited Away was my first, like it was for a lot of people. Um, because what a lot of people don't know now, and it's why there was a weird like dip in being able to find them on DVD for a while. Disney was the Western distributor, the the non-Japanese distributor for Studio Ghibli films from yep. 96 on for quite a long time. It was only recently that they dropped, I mean, recently within the last decade, they dropped it, it had, you know, about the time of John Lasseter leaving, which, you know, um, but yeah, so like you mentioned, they had these absolute rock star casts of people. Um, I mean, going back to even like, the redub of Castle in the Sky. Like, there's just so much that is so good. But I think my first was Spirited Away, and then Howl's Moving Castle came out directly after. And I remember, because I'm from near Washington, D.C., and both of those got a limited U.S. Um, release. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine uh, uh, and my mom let us go, went to D.C. It was about 45 minutes, hour north of us, to see Spirited Away or in theaters. Not Spirited Away. I'm sorry. How's Moving Castle in theaters. And it was just breathtaking. I mean, it was so massive to see on that screen, which is, it's truly, I think, a crime for a lot of, the Miyazaki films, especially the older ones, which is why I love that they do Studio Ghibli Fest now, is because I can own all of these, 
HBO Max has all of them up for streaming, but like every chance I can to go see them in a movie theater, you bet your ass, especially the older stuff, I'm going to see in theaters. Um, some of them I saw for the first time because of uh, Ghibli Fest, so I think that was my... Um, uh, partaking of it. My mom never liked anime. And that was the time where like, I mean, cause we're talking like 2001 to 2003, you know, Suncoast video, you got one VHS of three or four episodes. It was $30. Parents hated anime. Everybody hated anime, but we loved it. Um, and my mom watched Spirited Away with us and went, that was probably the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, I know it's, <laughs> it's, it, it, I feel like it's what, a lot of people have felt seeing Disney films for the first time over the years when it comes to like Western animation because, you know, they, they did set a tone with animation. They were the only animating studio for a while, but it was the things I experienced and then seeing Mononoke I saw quickly after on home video and was it was not kind of my niche of movie, but I was so overcome by the storytelling and the beauty of the story. I think Studio Ghibli just has a beautiful way of telling stories that they could do any other way but using the animated form is just breathtaking and really kind of is an extra character in this in their stories yeah i mean the animation is always gorgeous even later years when they worked in some minor cgi and other mm -hmm. things like i think of in spirited away when um the lead whose name i'm forgetting is riding the dragon and like the backgrounds uh -huh. are moving like the way that stuff separates is definitely there's some computer mm -hmm. work there but like yeah, I mean, Howl's Moving Castle, I think, is the first one I remember watching with my partner, Sarah. And mm. it's one of those ones that, like, I think the Hollywood cast really did a great job. I like the mm -hmm. Japanese cast as well, as they do for a mm -hmm. lot of anime. But, like, uh, Christian Bale was great as Howl. And then, of course, Billy <sighs> Crystal as Calcifer mm -hmm. is, like, mm -hmm. one of my famous favorite performances in all of Ghibli uh, or Ghibli. I've heard it, I've heard it said both ways. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, like, I think for me, what is really memorable about these movies is not only the animation and the scoring and the voice acting, but it's just the way the characters are created. There's so few cliches. Like, a lot of what we were seeing in Western, you know, cartoons and stuff like that of, like, objectification and, like, mm -hmm. even queer baiting and, like, all sorts of, like, you know, I mean, obviously, Ghibli movies, most of the characters are look white. They are not they are presented as you know caucasian looking characters as often are in a lot of animes like dragon ball z and all that stuff they don't look they don't look asian they they mostly have pasty skins and i don't know like mm -hmm. if that was a translation thing like when they brought it over here or whatever but i know that that was the case for a lot of anime especially at the time um mm -hmm. barring that and the lack of diversity in those films more or less they were very much very progressive films and i like mm -hmm. that about them too um, that the stories were, oh, it was rarely a damsel in distress. And if the damsel was in distress, there was a good reason and they often got themselves out of it. Like mm -hmm. all of that kind of storytelling, which we weren't seeing. I mean, even their most recent one, which was fully CG, which was, um, Earwig. Oh, what was it? Gre yeah, Greta and the, and the, was it Earwig? Yeah, it's remember. Earwig. Hold yeah. On. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is Earwig and the Witch. Earwig and the Witch was was short but very good. I I didn't I, I think that it had like it missed some steps, but all in all, is like mm -hmm. one of the first CGI Ghibli films. I really liked it a lot. I, I we might disagree on that one. I <laughs> maybe it was how I watched the film. Now I loved the secondary characters in that. I dis my my hate of protagonist, which <laughs> happens often for me, came in and. 
I, you know, it's like, it's the first time that we have a really unlikable protagonist, I think. Um, now, granted, she's a little girl, but I love those secondary characters. I kind of liked a lot about it. And it wasn't the animation that bothered me at all, but you could right. just, you know, they are clearly going in an, a different direction and trying something new. And like, yeah. when you've got a studio where almost every movie is a home run, like, yeah. you, you can't be mad at it. Like, Yeah, eventually they're going to miss. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's a lot of people because like what a lot of people don't know is that everybody thinks Haya Miyazaki, who founded the studio, um, created, uh, does all of the movies. He puts his on all of them. And while he does not, you know, and it's, you know, his son has been making quite a few of them now. Um, and, you know, there's just some people are like, oh, it's just not the same. And I was like, it's not going to be the same, you know? So like, of course, if you're like your ponios and your Ariettes are not going to be the same as your spirited Aways, your princess Mononoke's. Yep. And then you've even got the ones that like a lot of people haven't seen, like the from up on Poppy Hill, the wind rises when Marnie was there, which are gut wrenching, beautiful, beautiful stories. You know, it, it's, they have told so many different interesting stories from different times because even like um oh which is it the wizard of earthsea a oh, tales of earthsea it's not particularly interesting but also i i'm sure Le Guin purists are going to come after me <laughs> the earthsea books are not that interesting either which is what sci-fi had a big problem when when they were creating the earthsea series it's not particularly interesting as far as fantasy goes yeah. and it was a very accurate adaptation it's kind of like if you did an animated samarillion it would kind of fall the same way um yeah. so i think matt let's just jump in i know we've probably talked about this before i think you've said your favorite is me uh is miyazaki jesus christ today you can tell um your favorite is princess mononoke yes yeah i would say so i mean i really love spirited away i really love my neighbor totoro i think all of them fit certain moods howl's moving castle but mononoke i think because it was my first because i like the action in it i like the kind of like environmentalists nature of it i think it's an interesting story to tell and detail beyond just the um like uh, so i think the reason it stays my favorite is the f the first time we see the true form of the spirit of the forest when it mm -hmm. grows and extends in the way that animation mm -hmm. is like that i i'm still in awe of that scene every time i see it especially on the mm -hmm. big screen and so i think that's why it stays above for me um also i just think it it's one of the cooler more interesting films not that the other ones aren't um and i don't love every miyazaki film uh oh, fa yeah, miyazaki. famously i don't really like nausicaa i think it's fine mm -hmm. i don't think it's a bad movie but i definitely don't think it's as good as a lot of the others pokoroso i like well enough but also i think is one of the weaker films um but yeah princess mononoke is definitely still my favorite um and uh it's been a few years since i watched it but i remember watching it i think right before the pandemic and still just like being on the edge of my seat loving every moment of it something i love and it's in princess mononoke quite a bit it's in house moving castle quite a bit as well it's where western movies can be heavy-handed if they have a political agenda or they have an agenda a story a message and i think their version of storytelling and how they weave the story, they have a much better way or a much more, not better, effective. I think the way, because the audience doesn't necessarily have to take it away, but if you are an intuitive uh, 
audience member, Mm -hmm. they give you all the keys to kind of put it together. And I really, that was something that as, you know, watching, I probably watched Princess Mononoke when I was 18 for the first time. And then revisiting it probably, when was movie pass out? 2017, 2018? Um, Studio Ghibli Fest was included on the weekends of if they if your local theater didn't have a lot of tickets sold, they would open up those tickets to the movie pass people. So I went to I was I had a very small regal near me. We had five regals in my grad school town of a very small town. So you don't need five regals. Um, so I ended up going and seeing all of them. And I, I saw that probably was the last time I watched Princess Mononoke. And I watched it one night in English and one night in Japanese. And which was Really interesting to kind of study the the subtle nuance differences in how they translate. Mm-hmm. Um, but something I still love about these movies is it's not like the oh, the dub is better, oh, the sub is better. Unlike a lot of animes, they don't tweak much of the story or plot at all. The mm-hmm. only things they change is like to make grammatical things work when they're translating for the subtitles. I think yeah. is like the little things, but. It's such a breathtaking movie. I love to have a violent female lead in a (laughs) film. I think it is something that I always love about the Ghibli films is that they're not saying, oh, that's outside of my, my experience, so we don't need to tell that story because I don't have that experience. So often they're is a female lead or a female secondary character who really uh, the characters don't feel super contrived in a lot of ways. And Mononoke is one of those as well that I think it's, it's such an interesting and beautiful story that it's, it's always one, especially for people like friends of mine that don't might for some reason, if haven't watched a movie like this yet, which I just feel like is harder and harder to find people who have not (laughs) dug into the Ghibli films. Right. Um, but it's always, especially if I've got like bro friends that are looking to get into it, I hand them Princess Mononoke because I think it is a wonderful gateway in, um, and 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 that. So I actually think for me, my favorite is Howl's Moving Castle. I think just Good hands one. down, it's beautiful. Uh, um, you can't tell me that we all haven't pined after a boy that's just like Howl at one point. Of course. Again, I continue to say that I love a chaos twink and <laughs> Howl is the epitome of a chaos twink. Um, like in theory, not actually in practice. But um, I I just – and what's funny is uh, when I lived in New York, I was at the Strand one day, which – Oh, if you all have not experienced the Strand when you're being a tourist in New York, please go. It's so wonderful. I it's so it's really hard to get a job there though. The, you it's really hard to get a job there, which I thought was interesting. But I was just walking around and there was a table of adapted books and Howl's Moving Castle was sitting on the table. Yep. And I went, "What? It's a book?" And so I read the whole thing. And let me tell you, it's an example where they took quite a few liberties, but I think the liberties they took made a lot more sense than kind of what the original writer had kind of muddled through with the book. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially making like Sophie's sister, like a witch, like dabbling in witchcraft and like putting a glamour on hers. It was just very strange. I like Lottie much more in in the movie, but it's, I mean, it's breathtaking. It shows such, a knowledge of 
history, like international history, art history, um, like movements of art that are used in that film specifically. Like I always love when they give us a time that's almost like what, what the world experienced, but is just a little different. I just, I think the nuances of art history that are in that movie are just beautiful. The scores, let me tell you, I don't think another studio does scores like, like the Ghibli films do. Yeah. No one does scores. No one does scores like them. So I think for me, it, it, it always goes to house movie castle. It's become a comfort movie. I think for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, also because Sophie is such an interesting character to me that a lot of, and at the time I really felt this, a lot of the people who are going to go see that film, male or female, probably feel a very strong connection with Sophie as a person because maybe you were a little ostracized by everyone around you. Maybe you are called an old soul, which, you know, most of us gifted kids who are called old souls were just traumatized <laughs> children. <laughs> but I think there is something so relatable to her. And the beautiful, subtle moments of when they chose storytelling-wise to drop the spell's glamour mm-hmm. on her and that you can see, like, half the movie, Hal can see through it. Mm-hmm. I, but also you've got, like, Blythe Danner as Solomon, uh, in that is a great cameo. Um, Lauren Bacall is the Witch of the Waste, which the fact that I have not cosplayed Witch of the Waste yet is a crime. It's true. And I, I think if I'm at FlameCon next year, I think that's, I think that's the cosplay I'm going to have to pull out. That would be a good one. Because I should be back. I should be back in New York for that. But um, yeah, I think it's just beautiful. I think it really shows kind of everything the studio is capable of um, in yeah, just I- beautiful ways. I agree. I mean, I think while it's Howl's not my favorite, I think what the best movies of Miyazaki do are balance humor and drama and like and like approachability and like I'd say well, uh, my neighbor Totoro is pretty far on one side. There are dramatic moments, of course, but it's mostly goofy kind of kid fun. You know, I would say on the other end is Grave of the Fireflies, which is just a one-time oh. watch and you never watch again, much it's like so Requiem true. for a Dream. Like, I can oh. never watch that again. But, like, yeah. I think Howl and Spirited Away and a few others are in that nice middle ground where it's a balance of drama and comedy. There's a lesson to learn. You know, one of my favorite moments in Howl is the dog going up the stairs. Like, yes. it's just... Like, I used to impersonate, when I had long hair, I'd pull all my hair in front of my face and just impersonate the dog and just huff. Yeah. Uh, it just, it was, it's, it's, there's so much fun in those films. And for sure, Howl is one of the epitome of a good balance of storytelling and writing and humor and drama and all of that. Hey there, Screen Beans. Have you heard about Screen Snark? Rachel, this is an ad break. They aren't screen beans until they listen to the show. Fine. Potential screen beans. You like movies and TV shows, right? I mean, who doesn't? Screen Snark is a casual conversation about the movies and television shows that are shaping us as we live our everyday lives. That's right, Matt. We have a chat with at least one incredible guest every episode, hailing from all walks. We've interviewed chefs, writers, costumers, musicians, yoga teachers, comedians, burlesque dancers, folks in the film and TV industry. 
industry. And more. We'd be delighted for you to join us every other Monday on the Certain POV Podcast Network. Or wherever you get your podcasts fresh and tasty off the presses. What? But that's no, that's not. Can I call them screen beans now? Fine. Screen beans. So tune in and we'll see you at the movies or on a couch somewhere. Because you're a whole screen beans now. So give me a title then that you think you appreciate or you really like, but you think other people have maybe avoided or just haven't been drawn to as much. What do you think maybe is like a, a sleeper hit for the kind of canon of the Ghibli films? I mean, I would say that even though it got a big theatrical release and had a giant Hollywood cast, I think Ponyo got overlooked quite a bit. Yeah. It, 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 it is clearly of course a take that's kind of inspired by the little mermaid, but not quite. I mean, there's, there's definitely a, a lot of liberties and differences, but I think that it's just, in in the way that I feel like Totoro is a classic, I think Ponyo really shows child love, but not like it's not meant to be creepy or over romanticized yeah. or sexualized. It's just a deep love between two kids who care about each other. And like I feel like in every other Disney film or kids film, we see that there's like this faux romance between 16 year olds that were like bleh. and like with this it's like little kids who f fall in deep love with each other and become close close dear friends and like I, I think the animation's really cool i think the transformation sequences with yeah. with the the with with the leads and stuff are really cool as well like i just i think it's really well done and i think that while story-wise it's a little textbook I think it's still between the animation and the soundtrack and the voice acting is still a classic that doesn't really get looked at in the same regard as a lot of other movies in the oeuvre of Miyazaki. Mm -hmm. I agree with you so much. I think this one, I think Ponyo is their biggest flex when it comes to animation. The water, the fish, the magic aspects of this along with the like hard edge of real life um, was... May I remember seeing Ponyo at like 10 a.m. after waiting in line for the hairspray open call, spring wake hairspray open call for the national tour, and I didn't have to work till later. And so I was like, I'm gonna go and see a movie. And I was like, I might fall asleep during it. And I fought every like feeling tired to sit through that movie because it it visual again. The, the studio does these beautiful things where they make films for all ages of viewers. Yeah. So that you can start with one film and grow into the others. But then there's also a way for um, of like all ages of people to appreciate it. And I think a lot of Western viewers going from the Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle to like the Ponyo of it all had a difficult time realizing that sometimes a kid's movie is just a kid's movie and sometimes yep. we're just telling a different story um though the first time i saw steven universe i went this is a very ponyo vibe to <laughs> amazing um but it's it's it is it is such a sleeper class it is such a sleeper film for them and i we revisited oh, the house that I was just living in. My housemates and I, we probably revisited it once every couple of months because it's just a really nice film to put on in the background. Um, 
fun casting for the kids that it's baby Jonas and baby Cyrus. Like it's uh, little brother Jonas and little sister Cyrus, who's now a rapper, I think. I don't know. I don't follow music that closely. But <laughs> you also had Tina Fey and Matt Damon and Liam Neeson and uh, Lily Tomlin and Betty White. Like it, it's they also they just they're able and a lot of this was the Disney distribution, which, you know, for better or for worse, having Disney that clout of Disney plus the legacy of, of the studio, they were really able to pull some fantastic people. And it always, even if they weren't voice actors, their, their performances felt very authentic. Yeah. They didn't feel stilted. They felt very live and in there. Uh, plus every time I think of Ponyo, I just want ramen. It makes me just yes, want ramen right? so bad. Um, I think for me, uh, my sleeper favorite, or like my sli- my my movie that I think a lot of people sleep on, is the uh, is Arietti. Um, oh yeah, sure, I, I can gr- see that. I I grew up loving The Borrowers, sure, um, the film, and that is you know that's another thing is they, the studio is really fantastic at taking existing tales. And really putting a spin on them and figuring out their own unique way to tell a story that is not an exact copy, but it is an inspiration of. It takes takes um, homage and love from. But I I I loved Arietti. I think a lot of it. Again, I love a strong female lead. I know that phrase is used so much, but also I think Will Arnett and Amy Poehler as the voices of the parents in that movie are so lovely. Um, we had two Disney Channel stars as the two two young leads. You had Carol Burnett as the the evil the evil housekeeper. It was just yep. I think it's another one where if you go in knowing not everything is going to be high fantasy, high action, that it's it's a wonderful story. It also, in many ways, is an interesting idea of how we talk about grief and mortality and the idea that you should, you, kids are going to live forever, but what happens if you don't? Like, it's it explored a lot of things that, you know, at a time it came out the same year as Frozen and things that I think in... Big Hero 6 and, or not Big Hero 6, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Big Hero 6. I think all of these things came out kind of within uh, the same year, because I remember going to the same movie theater, see all three of them, that it, the studio was doing something different. And you could tell that Studio Ghibli was moving in a, they were moving on to a different uh, path. I believe Hayao had stepped down at this point and his son had kind of stepped up and, um, uh, but I, I think for me, I think one Arietti is a wonderful, it's a nice short film. It's 90 minutes. Um, it's a really nice way uh, and it appeals to all ages. And I think there's something really lovely in there. Again, the score is great. Um, the animation on that is great because there's, there's always so much detail in the sets. A lot of time with the animation and even Disney animation, it's active animation on top of stagnant background sets right. where I feel like in all of these movies, the 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 sets are just as beautiful and active and alive as the characters in front of them. There's almost so much to see. There's always lovely little, lovely little um, Easter eggs to other films in there that are just really cute and really sweet. So for me, I think it's the mysterious world of Arietti uh, is my kind of unsung favorite of the, of the canon. 
Yeah, it's funny. I've not seen that one yet. Uh, Rachel brought it on Screen Snark <sighs> once, and like I'm familiar with The Borrowers, which I loved as yeah. a kid as well. Um, and so I've always meant to watch it. And based on your recommendation, I'll definitely, I'll definitely check it out. I'd not, De- I'd not snubbed it on purpose. It was just one of those things. I was like, oh yeah, that came out, and then completely forgot mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, I think I was with someone at the time that we saw everything new animated that came out in because we had a, a very affordable movie theater that we were living in. And so it was definitely one that we were both like, yes, we have to see it. Um, it is also so weird to me kind of to look at the legacy of the studio that it's only been around since 1985. They made a couple films just before that, um, but 85 was the the first year that the the film had kind of was like there. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's because like Nausicaa was made before that, um, which is also a reason for a lot of people why it's not everyone's favorite. Yep. Um, also, Nausicaa is just long. It is so long. long. Like it feels every ounce of the two and a half hours that that movie is. And that's my yeah. that's my issue with uh, Tales of Earthsea as well. It's just long. Yeah. <laughs> now, I think there's something we have to talk about before we move on because I brought it up a little. But there is nothing like the food that is animated in these films. Oh my god! The 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 no face scene in Spirited Away, where uh-huh. he's eating and making the gold, like mm-hmm. just like every dish that comes out, I'm like, I want to eat that mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. and that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, even from the beginning, when when her parents are in the kind of like open air market mm-hmm. and just start like piling the food, and I go. I could go to a restaurant right now and none of the food would be literally as good as I feel like this food actually is. Yeah. Like the giant soup dump. Like there's just so much to it. But even the simpleness of the like sourdough bread and the bacon and the eggs in Howells. It's just. Or the the jiggly cheesecake in Mm -hmm. Spirited Away. I used to live right next to a Japanese bakery. And every time I had a sad day, I went and got some of that because it is just so good. Couldn't bother to make it myself, but it just, (laughs) it is so good. But it, again, it feeds your senses. It's, I literally salivate a lot of the times when I watch those movies. Um, So I just, I can't go past it without talking about it. Now, I don't know if you've been following, but we are weeks away from the Ghibli uh, theme park opening in Japan. Yeah, so I've been hearing about it. Um, I haven't followed it too closely. I'm mostly just jealous because that, like Nintendo Land, is not coming to the U.S. anytime soon. And so it's like, well, I don't care if I can't go. What the hell's the point? Well, Matt Storm, Nintendo World opens at Universal Hollywood in May. And then we'll be opening in Orlando, Florida in 2025, along with Donkey Kong, the expansion that Japan does not have yet. Yeah, no, I feel that too, because uh, after my current contract, I've been like, oh, darn, wouldn't it be the worst if I just went to Japan for a week and did everything that I can't do here, including the, the Ghibli theme park? Um, but just the like, the idea that you enter through the bathhouse in spirited away you can go inside of howell's castle you can eat food from the movies yep it's and but like a lot of it was also about conserving nature and so like planting the forests around it so you're gonna walk through trees and things and i just went oh man that just sounds it sounds so good (laughs) now i will say Disney was going to have a Studio Ghibli section of the Japan Pavilion at Epcot for a long time, including meet and greets with like No Face and Totoro. Yeah. Um, but they fucked that up because Disney fucks up everything. <laughs> this is famously a Disney hate podcast now. Yep. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I just I 
I love that a legacy of the studio that could have at any point everyone could have lost interest in on this side of the world because Americans famously do that, um, but haven't. And I'm really happy that it like is still here. And Hayao Miyazaki himself has come out of retirement to do another film, which he keeps saying is his last. But yes, we've heard that. We'll one see what before. happens. Yep. That's a, that's an old song <laughs> and dance. He's the kiss of the animation world. It's true. It's called How Do I Li- uh, How Do You Live? I'm very excited for it. Um, I'm looking at this. What's interesting is I'm looking at the list and realizing there is a couple of these that I have not seen from recent years, um, which I feel stupid because uh, the tale of Princess Kaguya is uh, like so, like it's so widely approved upon, but I haven't yeah. seen the Red Turtle either. I, I didn't I, actually. Know I remember it was when out. it was in theaters, but I missed that one. Mm-hmm. Now, is there any of the films, like kind of thinking back through the canon, um, that you think would maybe be on your bottom of a rewatch, or if you were putting together like a festival in order of like maybe movies that people would see, what is one that you necessarily, um, maybe other than Graves of the Firefly for obvious reasons, but you might think that like, maybe it just didn't hit the mark like the other ones did. I mean, we've already like alluded to it a few times, but um, uh, Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind, <laughs> I just feel like, I mean, as you said, famously it came out before they were officially Studio Ghibli, um, but it's a lot of the same people who worked on that. The animation style is, of course, the same. And I think the biggest problem is it's just really long. It's just a yeah. very, very long movie. Um, the pacing is not great. Um, but, like, it's fine. But I also think life's too short for fine films. I picked yep. a fight with someone recently that Lightyear was only fine, and they're like, no, it was good. I was like, it was entertaining, but it was not a good movie. It was an okay movie. And things can be okay. There's nothing wrong with movies just being okay. But like, if I had to put together a list of like the the top movies and the bottom movies, like Nausicaa would be towards the bottom, probably with Pocoroso, which is going to make a lot of folks mad. But I just, I, I, it's charming, but just didn't do anything for me. Listen, that was, you just said mine. So mine is Porco Rosso. So that was a Studio Ghibli Fest um, viewing. Uh, sure has a lovely voice cast, I believe, including Pierce Brosnan as Porco Rosso. I think yes, I, might be I believe wrong that's here. correct. Okay. Um, yeah, it just did not do it for me. And it's because no way that you cut it, it are a lot of those characters good people. Nope. Like, it's, it is such an epitome of like, God, you end up rooting for the shitty people because he learned one fucking lesson at the end yep. of the day. Yep. Um, I just, yeah, it's, it's and not many movies have characters like that where other than maybe the girl that's in that movie, but like all of them, I'm just like, I don't care about you, my dude. Like, you're a big pig who got transformed for obvious reasons of being a chauvinist pig. <laughs> like, yep. uh, you know, it's one of those that also like, it romanticizes like the idea of like industrial war and like mercenary ship in a way that like, you know, I they do very differently now. Like Howl's is a literal, the opposite tale of like, look at war is pointless most of the time. War could be avoided. All of this can be easily avoided. Um, and I, you know, I think it's, it's just one that I, Hooey, it just does not do it for me at all. Um, and there are a couple other ones that, like, I don't really remember. Like, Whisper of the Heart, I know I've seen it. 
but as things like go or even like i know my sibling's favorite is the cat returns i don't even remember that i've watched it maybe three or four years ago and again other than they're just being like a dashing tall cat man can't really tell you a ton about it yeah um i mean also there's something really important about the studio it's when you're looking at a lot of their scores um with the exception of tales from Earthsea, which has a 43 on rotten tomatoes um and earwig has a 29 i'm wow. not sure it deserves a 29 i think uh, that's only harsh. Had a uh, it had a 46 um, Metacritic rating, um, but every other movie has most of them, I'd say, are 90 and above. You've got a couple that are in the 80s, um, and then you've got, like, the My Neighbors Yamadas, which had, like, a 78. But again, I, I don't expect American critics to appreciate that because that was also the late 90s, where critics famously still shit on everything. Because right. now none of us give a shit about what any of the critics say. Typically we go, oh, the critics hate it. I'm probably going to love it. Let me run and see that movie because the yeah. critics hated it. Um, but we also live at a great point in time where like you can be a movie critic online and in a podcast and people <laughs> will probably appreciate your uh, your opinions more. Also, always remember to check out The Real Movie Critic versus Cineguy here on the Certain POV Network. We love Hans and Steven. We uh, do. Uh, even though every time we go on i always go oh no what cringy voice is steven gonna do and that's a <laughs> shout out to you steven i love you for that um but i just think there's some even at their worst there's so many beautiful things like tell me another studio that is willing to play with their animation style or their storytelling style and it's a huge like it could be a huge risk like uh looking at the tales of princess kaguya like it looks like a watercolor rice paper drawing. Right. Like it is so beautiful and vibrant. And honestly, if any studio is going to be able to do that, you know, they were, you know, they would have been able to. I mean, it's kind of like when Disney made the transition and like we got Rapunzel for the first time or, or yeah. Tangled and it was completely digitally animated. It was, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Disney. So I, you know, I think a lot of things Studio Ghibli for me is above Disney in their artistry and kind of their ethics and their business uh, practices. But like you can just see a different art style in almost every movie that they're still there. And you can still like even with Earwig being animated in a CGI format, there's still so much of what makes their hand-drawn animation there and their hand-drawn animation. Like uh, I believe how do you live is still going to be hand-drawn animated. Mm -hmm. Um, and like when Marnie was there, beautiful movie, beautiful movie, but like, there's a certain reason why, like I'm seeing two or three one hundreds on the list, on this list of like, um, uh, uh, Metacritic ratings and rotten tomato ratings like that is that in itself to me is is a huge just if you go off like critical ratings and things that that is a reason to revisit these films 100 percent, yeah i think that the the quality level sort of unlike the first phase of the mcu like the quality level is so high that even mm -hmm. though when you get a thor 2 or something which i've revisited and isn't as bad as people say it is no um it's just boring is the, its biggest mm -hmm. crime uh but like in those moments like you're gonna have like nobody is flawless but you're like the the the, the curve of what's good is is higher rather than low mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i 
something I really appreciated kind of reading back through the history of the company. Um, and I kind of want to tell this story only because um, the person involved is an absolute shitbag. And so uh, definitely uh, needs to be said. Uh, so famously, Nausicaa was like cut to pieces, just cut to pieces. Um right when it got released in the West and it was called like wind warriors or something ridiculous like that. Yes. Yes. By new world pictures. Um, and so, um, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Weinstein, uh, evil man that he is mm -hmm. said that they need to edit down princess Mononoke to make it more palatable Ugh. for an American audience. And famously, famously the president of studio Ghibli sent him a Japanese ceremonial sword that just said no cuts. <laughs> Love that. I just, the fact that they did not allow themselves to be bullied in the name of an international release of their product is just so beautiful and so wonderful. Um, and there are also some that like, I think Kiki's should be added to everyone's yearly um, Halloween watching. Like I it's agree. not a Halloween film, but it's a witch film. Like I just, I think it's so cute also um, as I like mean, a content creator if you are suffering from burnout on any level that is a film for you friend of the certain pov podcast network the incredible patrick willems did an entire video essay on burnout and kiki and like the parallels and just it's brilliant and like yeah I, kiki doesn't get mentioned enough and i think it is mm -hmm. also one of the better films that get often gets overlooked yeah i because it, it's one of those like Again, it's got like a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got an 89 Metacritic. Like, it's just, there's something to appeal to everyone in that. I mean, Phil Hartman is Gigi. Like, yeah. come on. Like, God rest his soul. That talented man. Just, I, everyone involved is so lovely. Kiki is such a love. Also, for all my friends that want to get into cosplay out there, Kiki and, oh, I always forget his name, the little boy in it. Oh, I forget remember. his name, but easy, easy cosplays to do. Go out there, great couples cosplay. Also, it's just it's a it's an easy Halloween costume, and everyone will recognize it. Um, something that I think is really great is that uh, you know it it could have been very easy because Disney does what Disney does, and it could have been really easy for the kind of Miyazaki films to disappear from not notoriety but disappear from shelves in america disappear from because streaming was always kind of hard for the the studio films spirited away was often up house moving castle would be up sometimes mononoke sometimes you know ponyo would be up because it was new or whatnot um but uh thanks thankfully um it was like 2011 when disney home entertainment uh, let go of the rights uh, tw 2011 2013 a company called G kids formed um, yep. and they have all of the rights again and they've yep. been doing all the redistribution something I love about them too when they redistributed the entire catalog because of course as Disney does it took them time to get all of them back um, so it was it wasn't actually until 2017 that Disney let go of everything um, with the exception of the wind rises, which Disney uh, kept until 2020 uh, because of their claws. But G kids, even when they were coming out for the first time, the DVDs were really affordable. Like, I think $14 was the most expensive one. And it was a two disc set with all the extra stuff. 
Um, and cause like, I don't know about you. I still collect some DVDs. I have every Miyazaki film on DVD except earwig. Cause it hasn't been released on DVD. Right. Um, but I have all of, the, even the ones I have not seen, I have all of them <laughs> um, just because it's something that's important to me. But I think it's really incredible that they've made it so accessible and they have that incredible, incredible, incredible deal with Warner Media and HBO. Yep. Um, and they're going to be releasing. Now, what's also interesting is G Kids, you know, like a lot of things. We had the Don Bluth Studios spun out of Disney in the early 80s, which has done some equally as iconic animating uh, that eventually would lead to like DreamWorks and things. Um, we have had a lot of um, films that came out that were inspired by uh, Hayao Miyazaki, by Studio Ghibli, or worked on people that originally... Like there's one famously, um, Mary and the Witch's Flower that came out in 2017. Um, it doesn't check all of the same boxes that the Studio Ghibli films do. It was just different, but you could tell it was their animators. And so seeing yeah. their their animating style inspiring things. I mean, you've even got like the Lupin the Third legacy of Hayao Miyazaki. Like his right. career goes back so much before, um, but. Matt Storm, I wanted to ask you, because you are a game guy, you are a game person, uh, Nino Kuni, uh, that, uh, that's the name of the, the video games, correct? Right, Nino Kuni 1 and yeah. 2, they were, they're, mm -hmm. I believe, JRPGs. Uh, if you're going to ask me if I've played them, I have unfortunately not played them. I believe I own the first one on Steam. It's at a point mm -hmm. now where I have so many games in that library that I don't yep. know what I have. <laughs> but, um... But I do own the first one, I believe, and I've wanted to play them both. I know they were released on Switch as well. I just haven't gotten around to playing them. But now that I have a Steam Deck, uh, I do plan on jumping into Nino Kuni 1 at some point. I've heard great Perfect. things. Um, all of yes. the character models are animated by the same animators. Mm -hmm. It is, I believe, Miyazaki directs on, on the games, or his son does. Mm -hmm. um, and I've heard great things about both, uh, but I have not yet played them myself. But it's exciting to see classic animators branch into this stuff. It's like the early Dragon Quest games and even Chrono Trigger mm -hmm. animated by mm -hmm. Akira Toriyama. Like my love of Chrono Trigger goes beyond that now, but when I first played it, it was because my friend who I talked about DBZ with all the time went, did you know that Akira Toriyama animated the art book for, for this RPG? You should check it out. And like, that's how I initially discovered it. And so it's always cool when like that kind of stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I've I've got the second game on Switch. A very lovely human being purchased it for me, and I've played the first little bit of it. Actually, just started it recently, and it is beautiful. It is so interesting to be able to live through. You know, it's a video game, but it is, you know, video games kind of to me have the largest breadth of storytelling ability of a lot of visual art forms because. You can put a 4,500 hour game, literally like a 45 yeah. hours, 100 hours, 1,000 hour game and people will play it. And there's so much ability for rich storytelling um, that I just, I think it's so interesting and lovely to be able to do that. What is it you think kind of as like a retrospect looking through that this studio is able to do with their uh, abilities and storytelling that you think some Western studios could really take a page from? I mean, I think that the thing that we talked about earlier is like the, the, um, I don't know, how do you put it? I mean, the, this, this studio really does know how to show multiple perspectives for protagonists. 
like mm. different kinds of people. But, you know, I mean, like I said, the diversity could be a little better, but like at least with, you know, people not just being these character foils and the they've done the hero's journey, they've done the damsel in distress, but all of them have a twist and something interesting. Um, I think pacing too. I think that a lot of these movies are a tight 90 minutes, you know, uh, like with some exceptions, I think really does show why these films are really good. Also, I think just something about letting a story take its time in that 90 minutes, right? Just because movies are shorter doesn't mean you have to race through the plot. I think a lot of these films for sure carefully crafted and even like there doesn't always even have to be a point like a lot of folks would argue oh Totoro has no point it's just this nonsense story I'm like yeah that that's the point that's the point it's this girl who is looking for escape and finds it with Totoro and Mm -hmm. that's the story it doesn't have to be more complex than that Mm -hmm. I think it being kind of plain as day is not so bad um, and I think it's a strength that the studio has. It doesn't mean they're overly simple. I just think it, they're very yeah. approachable in a way that a lot of other animated films aren't always. I, I also think it's, again, it's a message. Like, their mom is in the hospital in Totoro. Right. Their dad is doing his absolute best, and those little girls just need, like, especially anybody out there that is a sibling and has a very close age with their sibling, like yeah. play is a huge portion, but also to kind of embrace the idea of spirituality and fable in such a broad way that is so encoded on Japanese culture and Japanese life in a way that I think we miss from America because our country is so young. And instead of creating fun, urban, you know, fun spiritual creature things we created the history of our nation as fiction yeah so like you know you know instead of things like a forest spirit we have johnny appleseed or john uh, john washington good god george washington chopping down the cherry tree those are just those moments but again there are ways that you could comfortably put a child in front of totoro or put an adult in front of totoro and it's going to have some impact because you know not to get heavy but since 2020 like maybe as a millennial i've learned that i don't know how to grieve like it's not something that i know how to do and a lot of us have lost people very close to us in the last few years or we're mourning our loss of self our loss of career our loss of life before and kind of just realizing where the world is that where i know a lot of people went to like disney plus after you know with think because that's where a lot of people go but it's you know we still talk about like is little mermaid a damaging story like are these things you know it's sometimes it's just a fish girl like that's all it needs to be (laughs) as we are currently in the like debate of why a mermaid should be black and can be black and it's ridiculous um correct but you know there is something for everyone that is going to not just fill with a temporary fluffy cotton candy void it's going to give you something. And even if it's something for you to just personally think about, I think that's really important about these movies. Yeah, I, no, I agree completely. I think that, I also think that just there's something, there's in the simplicity of these films, like I mentioned before, there's a comfort like you're talking about. And like, it's just very easy with the exception of Grave of the Fireflies to find comfort in these movies, even when they have harder stories to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also... Uh, it because you know a lot of once Hayao kind of started animating the way he did a lot of people in Japan really kind of took 
that animating style. They took anime and kind of went beyond. This is just, it hasn't, it's not related at all, but I uh, revisited Nemo in Slumberland recently. Mm. And it, while it is not as quality of a film, it really checks a lot of the same boxes for me. Mm-hmm. And so I would just encourage everybody, well, if once you're starting to explore that like extended canon of like Prince of the Sun, Marrying the Witch Flower, modern, like a lot of the other like, tangentially connected studio ghibli films that are not officially ghibli or a lot of the stuff that was made through toei um you know that that would be one to to visit now matt storm for anyone who you know the fall is coming up the fall is going to be a great time well it is fall it'll be november when this comes out this is a great time it's getting cold in new york it's getting cold on the east coast I will be in Alaska at this point when this comes out in the ocean. Um, what would be a really good reason for everyone to like pitch a charcuterie hot chocolate evening with your friends and sit down and watch a couple of these movies? I, th- I mean, I think that like, I mean, there's no excuse, right? It's like I watch Over yeah. the Garden Wall every fall because <gasps> of course oh, I do. Absolutely. But uh, I mean, I think that uh, you, uh, a I mean, I think, you know what a great excuse to watch these films? If you have a child in your life that has not seen them, I think that's a great reason to dive into these films, especially in the fall. I think it's a good, like, evening, Saturday activity to just hang out and watch a film. I think it can be a lot of fun. Um, and, I, and I don't, with, again, the exception of Grave of the Fireflies, running gag here, uh, <laughs> any of these films are great for a kid to see. I mean, even that one, too. Like, it's, it's hard, but mm-hmm. it's, 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 not, it's not inappropriate for a child, I don't think, depending on the age. Yeah. Um, but, like, I think just th- there's a lot of warmth and, like, camaraderie and, and bonding you can see in these films. And I think translates well to if you want to bond with a young, young person in your life. Uh, in in undergrad, I took a post-war America class, and mm-hmm. Grave of the Fireflies was on our mandatory watch list of things right. that we had to take in, because uh, you know we talk about 1930 on essentially, uh, and so it was a very important thing to watch. Um, so that one, yeah, I definitely agree with you that I think people need to watch it once, know what you're getting into. I wish that would be in more like film festivals and things when they come back. I believe mm-hmm. that's in the Criterion Collection. I could be wrong, but I feel like that movie is in the Criterion Collection. But um, yeah, it's the same for me. I think it is an equalizer where there's going to be something for everyone. So if you've got your friends who like you know, Eternal Sp- uh, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and, you know, they like an Avengers movie, you can put on something like Princess Mononoke mm-hmm. and Kiki's or, you know, Princess Mononoke and Howl's. There are things in there for you all to put together and I think it'd be really great for um, people, you know, to kind of bond over. I think, to me, it's an even more great equalizer than a Disney film or a DreamWorks film. I agree. Um and I would love to see someone do a retrospective podcast about the canon of Miyazaki. That is not me, because uh, <laughs> heaven knows I have enough projects. But You don't want to do another Matt, podcast, Matt? Matt? Matt Storm, I have two paywall podcasts now. <laughs> no one knows that I have like four new podcasts coming next year. <laughs> oh, I knew. It's why I said what I said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always things. I literally have a little notebook of things planned uh but yeah if you all it is officially released at this point if you all like spooky stories you can check out leyline radio uh for uh little hometowns like the one you came from where the 
impossible as possible. And if you like magic, but don't uh, want to uh, support a transphobic evil wizarding school, you can join us on Saved by the Spell, where we are going behind Breakbills University from Lev Grossman's The Magicians, chapter by chapter. It's available on our Patreon for $2 a month. Check it out. Thank you, Matt Storm. Uh, but also... Stormy, thank you for being on the show today. I know it was a quick one, but uh, thank you. And I hope this just inspires everyone to go out and watch these movies again. I know I literally, I'm taking every, like of the like core 10 that I love, all 10, I have DVDs on the boat with me <laughs> and a DVD driver so I can watch them all the time because House and Spirited Away are just my, I felt when I was going to acting uh, school in New York and it was the worst thing I ever did, I fell asleep to House Castle every single night and it was the only thing that kept me sane for that year. So they are, they are a lot of people's like comfort movies. So thank you for coming on and talking to me today. I, my pleasure. I'm happy to be back. I love coming on your show. Uh, we've talked about a great many nerdy things, and we'll talk about more we in have. the future, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I think Over the Garden Wall is going to have to be the next one. Tell everyone on the internet exactly where they can find you. So the best place to find me, of course, is twitter.com slash DJ underscore Stormageddon. Um, I am DJ underscore Stormageddon on most platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Twitch, uh, I'm sure there's more. Uh, you can go to djstormageddon.com to find my Kofi if you want to buy me a coffee or more. You can also see my merch store. I have a ton of really great t-shirts, mugs, and tote bags. Uh, you can, where else can you go? And, and then I do too many podcasts. Um, most of them are on the podcast network you are listening to right now, but a bunch of them also I do editing for stuff that is not. Uh, again, all of that is at djstormageddon.com. But honestly, just give me a follow on Twitter. I love interacting with folks over there. I try and keep it hella gay. And really, really just kind of, I mean that mostly, just mostly hella gay. Yeah. And so if you want to talk gay yeah. shit, come on over there. Literally, the world cannot have enough queer shit right now <laughs> as everybody tries to take our basic human rights away. So. That's true. <laughs> Great. And thanks again. My pleasure. Before the Wicked Witch of the West and those gals from Salem, there was Circe, the captivating and kind of catastrophic Greek witch who did more than just turn men into pigs. I'm Rose. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Gloria. Join us this fall on Circling Circe, the podcast where we talk about Madeline Miller's incredible book, Circe. We go through the novel chapter by chapter. We laugh, we cry from laughing. We swoon over Daedalus and other Greek hotties and talk way too much about food, life, and scented candles. I'm hydrated. I'm ready. I'm You're pumped ready. to talk about Greek gods and titans. <laughs> Let's do this. Lasagna is not supposed to be cool. It's supposed to be eaten hot, stupid. Who just looked at the count and was like, hey, sexy, moo right over here. Like It's <laughs> 11.45. I need to go eat my liver. My Prometheus pate. <laughs> and Granny's like, get out. <laughs> <laughs> We post every Wednesday, so mark your calendars. Make like Scylla. Grab a sailor. And dive in. Find Circling Circe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, do you want to do an outro? Or? Yeah. <laughs> Is that your outro? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Saturday Morning Confidential is brought to you by Dreamer Productions and is a proud member of the Certain POV Podcast Network. You can find us on Facebook at Saturday Morning Confidential, on Instagram at SMC Pod, and on Twitter at The SMC Podcast. You can find all the shows that Certain POV has to offer at CertainPOV.com or also on Patreon at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of only $2 a month 
keeps constant programming coming in and supporting our new shows as we go throughout 2022. Now join us again next time for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.